Hi, my name is Rashmi Marhey and I am an assistant professor at Erasmus University of Rotterdam in the Department of Psychology, Educational and Child Studies, also known as TPEX. Hello, my name is Laura van Duin and I'm a scientist practitioner at the Nieuwkans in Rotterdam. We saw in our study how important positive and negative childhood experiences are also for the functioning of young adults. And substance use and delinquent behavior both have their own causes in every individual. And if we will not explore these causes very thoroughly and also with new methods, we will not be able to improve mental health for individuals, I think. Hi everyone, and welcome to this all-new three-part spin-off series, Researching a Healthy Start. In this series, inspiring researchers and practitioners in the Netherlands talk about their daily work with and for use as part of the Healthy Start Consortium. As in every episode, the guests will talk about their past, present, and future. In this episode, we will listen to Reshmi Mare and Laura van Daan, who talk about their work on youth delinquency and addiction. They also discuss the differences between working in clinical practice and in clinical research, and how the collaboration between practice and research can be meaningful for youth themselves. All right, let's start the episode. Well, welcome, Laura. It's very nice to have you here today. Um, we already know each other from our previous job as researchers. And uh, now I do something else. I mainly teach in the Forensic and Legal Psychology Master Program. And forensic psychology is also still my main research topic. I'm also the lead of one of the ambition projects of Healthy Start, which is tackling juvenile delinquency and addiction. And that subject still ties us together. Could you tell us something about uh, what the new account is? Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Erasmi. Uh, as you know, I work at the New Cons currently, and we are a day treatment program for young adults with multiple problems. So they don't have any income uh, when they arrive at the New Cons or daytime activities, but they also encounter mental health and or addiction problems. And very often we see a history of delinquency and youth care. How would you describe delinquency or delinquent behavior in your field of practice? That's a good question because we're talking about this topic, right? And also in our ambition project, we're working about it. And in our practice, I think I would describe it as uh, that the young people we work with, sometimes you don't see them, you don't hear them, you cannot connect them because they are busy with their side job, their delinquent behavior, or sometimes I got a phone call from out of prison. And at the other side, sometimes you see them walking in and they are more happy than the week before because they made money on the streets. Uh, yeah. And because it gives a lot of stress to them, also this delinquent behavior situation. So it gives them a reward, money, but it also gives them stress? Definitely, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's more the short-term thinking, which you see. So if they come in at, on a, a Monday morning and they are happy, because, but like the Thursday before they were stressful and walking around like uh, agitated, then it might be that they are in a delinquent uh, business uh, doing stuff in the weekend or in at night. Sometimes they also, they don't show up because they are busy at night 
and they say and like tired. Yes, morning? definitely. Yeah. And they say like, yeah, I went to Belgium, but I uh, just arrived at home at four o'clock, so I almost didn't sleep. If you go to Belgium on a Monday evening and are at home at four o'clock at night, we are really doubting about the things the you were doing. Was. Definitely. Probably drug trafficking, I would guess. For example, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how we define this in research is, of course, very, well, not very different. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same behavior. Yeah. But in research, we would then, what we did in our project, uh, when we worked together, we looked at judicial reports. So when youngsters got arrested and had to go maybe to jail or at least go to court for their delinquent behavior. So that's all offenses that were, uh, but what they were charged for. So yeah, that's, that's how difference. we, the difference is indeed, yeah, no fair point. I know exactly what you mean, because the difference is that they're charged for it. So it's filed. We can look it up where we also know that if you ask them, it might be different because there might also be some offenses that they were not caught for. Yeah, we saw that in our reports, right? In our research. Yeah. yeah. Because we also asked them to report, uh, to do self-reports on their delinquent behavior. And yeah, so that is a difference, but that is indeed how we see it both in research and in practice, I guess. Yeah. And in practice, you see the impact of it on daily basis more, oh, I think. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. can imagine. Why did you become interested in those young adults with multiple problems? I became interested in this target group of young people because I wanted to better understand them and also the difficulties they face in their lives. I always wanted to work with the vulnerable population because I saw a lot of inequalities, injustice in society. And I'm very passionate about reducing these uh, for at least a very little bit. And I was very interested in exploring the motives of delinquent behavior and substance use as well. I know you're a practitioner now, but I also know you started out differently. So could you tell something about that? Yes, of course. And you're right about that. Because first I became a researcher already about 14 years ago during my sociology study. And my endless curiosity in people and their behavior combined with my study and the opportunity to start participating in a European study, for which I did interviews in three neighborhoods in Rotterdam, made me want to become a researcher. I really experienced the whole research process, which was very inspiring to me. And I knew a lot better what research doing is and what the parts of the process are. And as you know, I started as your colleague in 2013 at the academic workplace as a PhD student. And within these eight and a half years, we worked together. Uh, there were some tough and challenging phases, as you know. Indeed. And in between, in 2018, I also started working at the New Cons. And I think you and, and our other colleagues, they very quite often mentioned uh, that I had a very good connection with our participants in the research. And it also gave me a lot of energy to know for whom I was doing my research. Do yeah, you so, remember that? Yes, <laughs> because indeed during the research, we had all these questionnaires, uh, all these tests for the participants. So for these young adults, which you as a PhD student indeed had to assess. But during these conversations with the participants, your interests became different than only research, right? Am I 
summarizing that correctly. True, and I also <laughs> played a lot of soccer with them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> I also remember that, yes, yes. So how did you then indeed make that transition for yourself? Or could you tell something about that? Yeah, one of my aims uh, was to gain more understanding uh, for these young people and their very difficult lives they are in. And when the funding was almost done of the academic workplace, I decided to apply for a job at the New Accounts, but then as a practitioner, because I thought it might be a new opportunity for me. And it gave me the opportunity to not only try to affect practice and policy for these young adults, but also to support and work with them on the individual level. And the New Accounts hired me, so I was very lucky with this wonderful opportunity after which I started as a social worker and a practitioner and individually tried to contribute to improve their situation besides my research. Besides the research, yeah. Awesome. Which is why I call you now a scientist practitioner, right? Yes. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for that title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because indeed you work in practice, but you have this scientific background. I think it also helps you a lot with more understanding of the population you're working with. Definitely. Okay. Definitely. Well, I have some other questions for you. Well, during your work as a practitioner, which challenges did you encounter on the way to becoming a practitioner? The challenge of accepting to partly try to help these young people with all their ups and downs. But in between, some of them got arrested, detained, or they got to rehab within their trajectory. And those moments were very tough for them because they also lost a lot of faith in being able to improve their lives at these moments. And I really felt responsible to try to keep them positive and also to give them positive perspectives within this process for them. And another big challenge is to stay positive and try to use the institutional system as it is, because that is where you have to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's quite complicated. (laughs) You have to be part of the system, but also try not to be always part of the system. Yeah. What did you learn along the way? The most important thing, I think, is to never give up on someone and that sometimes you can plant a seed, as we call it, as practitioners, (laughs) which opens up sometimes years later. So stay positive, give trust to all these brave young adults. brings us to our next section, present, Rashmi. And if you had to explain the ambition project of Healthy Start, tackling juvenile delinquency and addiction to your grandma, how would you describe it? Well, Healthy Start, broadly speaking, is aimed at improving the physical, mental and social health of children and young people. That's very broad, of course. But what's different with this project is that it is addressed from three different disciplines. So it's medical, social and technical sciences. And in this case, it involves a collaboration between the Erasmus University, the Erasmus Medical Center and the TU Delft, the University of Technology in Delft. And we also want to combine that with knowledge from practice and practical implementation. So that's why we call it interdisciplinary approach, but also a transdisciplinary approach, which is beyond universities, also with practice. The ambition project that I am involved in is aimed at tackling juvenile delinquency and addiction. And our main goal 
is to provide tools to young people who are struggling with addiction issues and a criminal background, and hopefully thereby motivate them to work towards their own long-term goals, such as having a paid job or pursuing an education. Thank you very much. I think you have quite an intelligent grandma <laughs> if you're explaining it like this. So maybe could you elaborate it a little bit more? <laughs> I do have an intelligent grandma indeed, <laughs> but I'm guessing our um, listeners are also very intelligent. But of course, I'm happy to explain more about it. Uh, so. As we already mentioned, our target group, which we're both working with, is struggling with addiction issues and also a delinquent or criminal background. And I think you also mentioned it before, like the main purpose you want in your practice is to have them happy again and satisfied and pursue some normal goals in life, which they also want. I think you can relate to that, right? Definitely, definitely. Yes. They do want a normal job. They do want a normal life. They do want no stress in their lives. Definitely. So what we want to do with this project is look at what kind of factors actually supports the individual, supports these young people to motivate them, to support them to pursue these long-term goals, which might be having a normal job, being able to care for my children, not get stressed every day because of money or because of the police is looking for me. Those are their goals. We are looking for factors that might support them with that, that might motivate them to work towards these goals. And do you have, already have a, a tip or an advice or an idea about what these factors might be? What these factors might be? Yeah. Well, from research, we do know that a lot of social, psychological, but also biological factors play a role in at least showing this type of behavior. So we do know that, for example, having a lot of adverse childhood events might put you more in, at risk to develop criminal behavior or addiction problems. Being um, Having a little bit more impairment in cognitive control processes might be some factors that contribute to having more risk to develop these problems. So we do know that those factors might play a role in developing this behavior. So it might also be that targeting these types of behaviors might help out with motivating them more. But we're also really looking more to those positive factors. We really want to know more about that. Personally, I have to say, as a researcher, I don't know too much about those positive factors. We are looking into that in the whole project. So we're starting with a literature research in what is already known about either risk factors or positive factors to help out this target group. Uh, but that's also one thing that we really want to ask the group themselves in this project. Nice. Yes, that we want to ask the young people themselves, like, what would motivate you? What do you think would help you out best? Yep. And we do want to incorporate that in this project. I think it's a very unique project. What was one of the recent meaningful incidents or moments at work related to the Ambition project, which has resonated with you personally or professionally? Yeah, nice question. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was when we were doing our research project in the academic workplace a couple of years ago, I was assessing a vice, an intelligent test with one of the young adults in Anthony Bacans. And as listeners might know, the vice takes a very long time to assess. It, it might take up, I think you know better, Laura, how many hours does it take? At least two or three. Yeah, exactly. At least. But we did the subtest, so that was True. a little shorter, I guess, but still a long time, especially if attention span is not that long. They become very tired. So 
we had a break in between the assessment of the vice and uh, at the Nieuwe Kans, they are allowed to go outside and have a smoke. So that's fine. We allow that. So we just say like, okay, we'll have a break. And this young guy came back to do the rest of the assessment of the vice. And I immediately could tell that he had smoked a joint in the, <laughs> in the break um, because I could smell that. And immediately thought, oh, what is this going to do with my wise results now or with his wise results now? What did um, you do? What did I do? I don't remember, actually. I think I don't remember whether we talked about it or whether we just continued the wise assessment. But I do remember that it puzzled me a lot. Like, okay, what would this actually mean? Because we also know that most of the youngsters tell us, most of the young adults tell us that they actually need a joint to perform normally during the day. Stay calm. That's what they tell us. Yeah, They're, they tell us that they, I need it because indeed it makes me calm and I need to become a little bit more calm. And it actually helps me to focus. So what would it indeed mean if someone had a smoke, if someone uh, smoked a joint? Would it then mean that the focus is even better or not? Because we also know what drugs can do to your brain. So yeah, that puzzled me. That was, I think, an incident in which I thought, what do addiction or what does drug use in this sense indeed do for the cognitive performance? Yeah, and maybe it also showed how tense this young adult was. Yeah. And how good he wanted to perform. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It shows indeed a lot of the different facets of drug use, yep. tension, cognitive performance. It's a lot more than what you think about when you start your research at first. Definitely. Good example. Thank you so much. I bet you have at least also a meaningful incident or a moment at work related to this ambition, which formed you professionally. Definitely. I have more of those Yeah, moments. of course, you have multiple examples. But I will, uh, I will tell about one of those moments because I still remember it like it was yesterday. And at a certain moment, a girlfriend of my client texted me through WhatsApp and she texted, Laura, do not answer this message, but mm -hmm, punch, 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 it's very aggressive right now. At that moment when I received it, I knew my client and his history of firearms, uh, violence, and I also knew his girlfriend and their interaction, which I once told also to her, if you ever are in danger, please contact me. So at that moment, I went to my colleague and asked, I need to call the alarm number 112, do I? Just to be sure that I was interpreting it right, this message. So... I called the alarm number and I kept my phone closed because she sent me the location she were. And the police arrested him in front of their door. And when he was with her and their kid as well. Mm. So it has a lot of impact. And I was also, after I was very relieved that I heard when he was arrested. Because I was convinced that he was able to try to kill her at that moment. And after this feeling of relief, I was so sad because of this situation. And it took me some time to focus on my work again and it still touches me. I can see that. Yeah. But not yeah. much later, I also became very afraid because I snitched him to the police. And I know he was in jail because of me, yeah. because I called the alarm number. Yeah. And he was your client, right? So Exactly. Yeah, that's difficult. Yeah. So... I experienced it as a very complex 
situation, but all the time I knew it was what I had to do as a professional. And my thoughts were about when he was out of jail again, I was not sure whether he wanted revenge or not. And so I was on guard also for the moment. Uh, though yeah. he called me from out of jail and he sounded fine with me. Okay. In his like relationship with yeah, you. Or, yeah. Exactly. And like already before when he was in jail, he called me as the first person. So but he still I, had this trust apparently in you. But then I didn't know oh. if he already knew that I called the police. Oh. Because they didn't tell him, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so it was for me like one big question mark, uh, what he knew and how he would think about it. But my colleagues, I also, of course, talked with them about it and they also supported me a lot, which was very nice and very helpful. And then when he was relieved, he texted me not much later. Laura, I know it's an indecent to ask, but do you have a boyfriend? <laughs> <laughs> And then I thought, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was his first question. Not his well, first. After his release. <laughs> okay. One of his first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was analyzing this whole situation and process. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I understand you. Because I think for him, it was the way to say, I'm thankful that you protected me. By calling the police. And it learned me that in some complex situations, my thoughts are not the thoughts of the other person. And sometimes it's too complicated to understand somebody. And that is okay. Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. And I saw it later on. I also experienced it with some other clients. Yeah. The same. Yeah. So first you think, okay, my work relationship is done. And then afterwards, the connection gets even better. Wow. And they trust me even more. But that's what I never expected when starting to be a practitioner. Because like snitching on the streets is the most dangerous, stupid, illegal thing to do. do. But they don't see it like that, fortunately. Yeah, exactly. So in that, I called it relationship, we mean indeed a therapeutic or... Client treatment staff yeah. relationship, they do understand that it's different from apparently, I think, right? They do understand that that's different from the friends they have in the streets or their delinquent friends. Apparently, they will, I think they experience that it is a different relationship. Yeah, yeah. I think they don't know at first when oh, they okay. start at the new accounts, but I think their experience in the connection is different. And I always say, like, please be honest and I will help you. But I'm a professional. So I also have sometimes not yeah, your standards. I have different ways to, to deal with the situation. And I will, I tell them, but still you don't know how someone's reacting at that moment. Thanks, Laura, for sharing that. And it really shows how complex this topic is, I think. And it is. The clients yeah. Are. yeah. I think we had some nice examples now of what it means to be, for me, a researcher in practice. 
and for you being a practitioner with scientific background. Which brings us to our next section, the future. What changes would you like to see in the upcoming years regarding research or practice on this ambition project? Um, in the upcoming years, I would like to see some changes in the forensic system because most people get detained for short sentences in Holland. But research showed that it does not always improve people's lives and also the recidivism rates are still quite high in the Netherlands. And of course, the punishing part needs to stay in the sentence because that's for society a very important part. But it could be more efficient, I think, with more effective interventions and also better tailored. For example, if you have the clients or the delinquents with addiction or substance use problems. And we know that substances are available in all these settings, juvenile justice, jails, rehab centers. And so besides more mental health care facilities for delinquents, like more implementing it during their time in jail, if they are. We saw in our study how important positive and negative childhood experiences are also for the functioning of young adults. And substance use and delinquent behavior both have their own causes in every individual. And if we will not explore these causes very thoroughly and also with new methods, we will not be able to improve mental health for individuals, I think. So I'm very thankful that we pilot also with virtual reality now how we could improve the DNK program and how it could be beneficial for these young adults. Yeah, and, and with DNK program, you mean the new accounts, of course. Of course, <laughs> thank you. Yes, I do. Yeah. And about the forensic system, there's already a movement going for more yeah. smaller skilled facilities. But would you say this is more pertinent to younger people in a forensic system or in general? I think in general, because we know that in general, uh, delinquents, younger or older, they are all vulnerable. Okay. But you have to start some at some phase or with some population, right? And I think it's good that they start now with this younger delinquents. Yeah, I think so too. And what we also see indeed in research is that young delinquents do not have as high recidivism rates. Recidivism, by the way, is relapsing actually, or again, engaging in criminal activity, repeating, repeating offenses. That's what recidivism is. And we see in younger people that it's not still that high. Mm -hmm. So which gives us the idea as researchers that we can still do something about that, right? Definitely. Uh, at a younger I've... age, you can always intervene more probably than if someone is already of a higher age. But we also see that they learn a lot of delinquent skills if they are surrounded by other yeah, juvenile delinquents. So, exactly. And also in the case of substance use, they're coming in a lot of places where substance use is the normal. normal. Yeah. yeah, they come in contact a lot. So having been educated at least about the consequences of this behavior in jail or in other facilities where they come would be indeed a very good process, would be a very good step yeah. in the system. I agree with you. And I also hope that more professionals are willing to work within these settings because that's a problem in the Netherlands 
that we don't have enough professionals, well-educated professionals. Exactly. Such as you. (laughs) (laughs) Those are your words. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But that is, I mean, I think that's indeed what we want to do, right? Also here at the university, we're educating people all the time and taking into account, you mentioned it in our study, you saw how important both positive and negative childhood experiences are for the functioning of this target group. That helps you, I think, also a lot with your work as practitioner. Because you know, in Dutch, we call it a backpack, the rugzak in Dutch, the backpack they take with them. All of this experience they had as a child might have formed them to what they are today. Yep. And they all play a role and you need to take that into account with every step they're taking. If it's treatment, if it's in jail, they are taking that backpack with them. Definitely. And that's why I think this ambition project with also all these disciplines together and these youngsters also in the project is one of the best possibilities to really tackle these issues. All right, Laura, thank you so much for these answers. Very wonderful to hear your opinion on that. And I totally agree. I would like to close with how do you stay motivated in your job as a practitioner? I do stay motivated because I still have the conscience that part of the youth and young adults in the Netherlands or even broader, but they do not fit in this way of our complex system. And for me, that's really unacceptable that these young adults and young kids, they don't fit in the system we built. So that keeps me passionate forever. Okay. Yes. How about you, Rashmi? (laughs) It's kind of the same thing, actually, because being a researcher in practice, you also still encounter these examples. And indeed, you see that some people just got here, they were unlucky because of the past. And what can we do to help them to get out of that system or to get out of that whole intertwined system of problems and being caught in that That is what keeps me motivated. How can we actually really help them with all the knowledge we have in research, in literature? I think we still need to stay working together then. I agree very much with that. Let's do that. Nice. Thank you, Laura and Reshmi, so much for joining us today and for helping us increase the visibility of such outstanding scientists and practitioners as yourself. Thank you all for listening and talk soon. Thank Thank you. you. We want to thank Minor Revisions for the music, Lotte Koyman-Gochewski for the logo design, Max Kersten for audio editing, and Zeynep Alpay for their artwork. We also want to thank the Healthy Start Consortium for the funding of the spin-off series. 